Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of High School Not So Much Musical. This is the second part in the three-part series with Will and Matthew who have their own podcast called Blue State Conversations. We discuss the multiple various ways that hyperpolarization is increasing in the United States and the dangers of social media on politics. Thank you and stay tuned for that right after this. This is High School Not So Much A Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jalodanti and Ayush Agarwal. I liked how by talking about like gun control and Black Lives Matter, you all kind of illustrated the point of how most people are in the moderate. They're not on either extreme of the left or the right. Most people are not either pro-gun control or anti-gun control, they're somewhere in the middle. Uh, as you mentioned, they might like support uh, putting guns on the less than 1% who are using it for deadly use and the others who are just, for, uh, and not on the others who are just using it to protect themselves. And same for Black Lives Matter. It's not just either pro-BLM or anti-BLM, you have to make the distinction between Black Lives Matter as an organization and Black Lives Matter as a movement. And in the planning meeting, we talked about abortion, how it's not just pro-choice or pro-life, it's uh, most people actually lie in the middle. So if you all could talk a little bit more about how the media characterizes everything to the extreme, you're either pro-choice, pro-life, pro-gun control, anti-gun control, uh, pro-Black Lives Matter, anti-Black Lives Matter, but in reality, how most people are in the middle and how most people are moderates, I think that would give listeners a good understanding of like where most people in the United States actually lie on the political spectrum. I, I want to talk about one part of this, and I'm sure Matthew want to key in to those things. So you mentioned you know, we're, that there's the media is like really far left or really far right, and a lot of people are in the middle. So there are a lot of different issues that there could be something that we could actually decide on. Like we could have an actual bill to deal with some of these issues and then have a national conversation and then kind of decide either for each state or across the country what we do about something like um, like pro-life versus pro-choice, for instance. Congress could go and create a law, but they didn't. What we have is Roe v. Wade, which is a decision made from the courts. And so where we are is the House and Senate really from both sides don't want to take a stance on like they're willing to take a stance but they're not willing to do anything about it at the federal level because of money so if somebody comes and says i'm pro-life and then somebody runs again them against them and says i'm pro-choice vote for me because we don't like that person's views well just because that person said they're pro-choice doesn't mean that they're going to do anything to make it more pro-choice or just because that person said they're pro-life doesn't mean they're going to do anything to make it more pro-life in their district. But what we have is people saying, I am this way so that we can raise money. And we see this time and time again from the left and the right on almost every issue. You could just look at the email you get and say, are they asking me for money with this email? And what is the hook that they're using to get my attention that that they should that that I should be giving them money. So right now, one of the emails that I get constantly, I get Nancy Pelosi's emails and I get two different emails from her all the time. The first one is uh, all of the Republicans are 
are retiring, we have them on the run, donate to us so we can uh, crush them and keep the majority forever. And then a week later, I'll get an email of her from her saying, oh no, uh, they've raised, the, the Republicans have raised X number of millions and we're, we, we're gonna lose to them in the midterms. Please support us so that we can continue to defend X, Y, and Z. And it blows my mind because they're trying to do use both methods to bring in money, negative uh, stimulation and positive stimulation. And so if, if you receive these different emails and different uh, advertising, um, it's really interesting to see what they're selling. And just to throw this way back, when I was a kid, I'd watch TV with my, with my parents and an ad would come on. And in the first few seconds, my parents would say, what are they selling? And your answer, you start realizing like fast food, cars uh and then and like the political ads were really obvious too and it's just like okay why are they selling that and so we, we've come into a position where people are trying the politicians are trying to rile people up into buying what they are selling and most people would be open to having a conversation but politicians in their advertising they're not trying to have a discussion they're trying to gain support yeah so just to sort of build off what he was saying there the for for the media part of the issue is you have there's a like there's a base right you have a certain number of viewers and you have to sort of go with what your viewership wants and oftentimes when your viewership wants a certain thing you're going to go that way it's you know money does affect people um but a lot of times it's not so much that it's money it's that you know hey, you know, you can, you can have all the advertisers in the world, but what happens if your audience leaves you? You have no advertisers, right? Um, so for a lot of the politicians and for a lot of the media that work with them, it really is, they're attempting to build a group that responds to what they think people are looking for in, in the abstract, right? They're trying to get the broadest group of people. So as he was saying with those Nancy Pelosi emails and everything, you know, and I, I, he doesn't tell you about the ones he gets with the stock tips from her. But what happens after that, she's gonna send that email, you're gonna send money. But those emails are not going to say, here's our policy. Here's what we're going to do. There's none of that. What it is is you need to vote for us because otherwise your issue will not be solved to your satisfaction. And that's always what they're going to be promising when you promise that an issue is going to be solved to their satisfaction, what you're trying to say to them is, you know, like you can take, say gun control. The majority of people may be, you know, they might they might be in terms of, you know, gun control. They may be just center right, like, hey, there should be some limitations, but everybody should generally be able to own guns, right? They, that's probably where most people are. What they're gonna try and do is they're going to try and tell you, hey, those guys over there want kids to die. Because again, they're going to use, they want to use that that passion. They want to use that stuff. That's, you know, as, as, um, as they say, you never let a good crisis go to waste. You, they're going to try and pull that from you so that even if you went to the other guy and when he has some reasonable ideas, they want to they want to make anything that the other team says come across as, no, 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 you have to, like how many times have you heard like a Republican will say something like, well, we should have, we should hire people based on their merit. You know, are they the best person for the job? Does anybody disagree with this? No, 
But so what are they going to try and do? They're going to try and push that as, well, the Republicans are saying that, but really they mean white people, right? And then what'll happen is Republicans will turn around and they'll say something like, no, no, that's not what we mean. We mean you should hire the best person. So the idea is you want to make it a referendum on your opponent. Right? Because what they've found is a lot of people don't actually have enough information. So if you can make it a choice on, do I like this guy? No, I'll vote for the other. So that's where the, the push is. So a lot of the media push is not so much to actually inform you or to do anything in particular. It's to create a feeling of, geez, um, I'm not too high on candidate A, but I could never vote for candidate B. So I guess candidate A is fine or they don't vote, in which case you can, you've lowered the vote total anyway. Um, you'll, you'll see that like, why did Donald Trump win 2016? No one likes Hillary Clinton. Zero people like Hillary Clinton. Bill Clinton doesn't like Hillary Clinton. Um, and those people, but they, what you want it, when that turnout there was very low, but what did they do in 2020? And Trump helped them out with this. They made it a vote about you really want Trump to remain in power? I mean, everybody can see Joe Biden is not is not fully with us. He's never he's never solved a single problem. The guy's the biggest flip flopper in the history of flip flopping, well, except for maybe Romney. And but why did why did he get elected? Because it became well, if you vote for Trump, you're voting for racism. If you it vote became, for Trump, if you, if you vote for Trump, you're voting for the devil. Right. I, I have a friend who, you know, they say I must, they are a single, they are a single topic abortion voter, right? They, they are pro-life. If you're pro-life, you're my guy. They, they didn't vote for Trump, who was the only pro-life candidate in the entire race. Now they didn't vote for Biden, but they actually said, well, I don't like Biden. I don't like what he stands for, but I just can't vote for Trump. So they went third party. Right. And then several, and then, you know, months later, the, the Democrat gets in, he starts putting in all the pro-choice stuff and they, and she went, oh no, what could, it, this is terrible. And it was like, hey, but that, that's the push that the media is trying to get. The media is trying to push you into a position of trying to decide, well, there's no way I could vote for this guy. He's a flawed human being. So I better vote for the slightly less flawed human being. They want to push you into that decision. And then they want to restrict your information in such a way that it looks clearly that way. Now, not everyone in the media does this. Some guys are genuinely thinking that they're giving you the right down the middle sort of thing. Um, but the problem is, is it's becoming, those people don't get clicks. So on the other end of it, people need to understand that what you click on drives who gets hired. If you click on a hyper-partisan person, then they will hire hyper-partisan people. If you click on people who are down the middle, they will hire down the middle people. That's so you there's a there's a part that comes from you. So the more you click on Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow, then the more Tucker Carlson's and Rachel Maddow's you get. Yeah, and that's what ends up becoming like the echo chamber of social media and news news networks. Like if I'm on Twitter or if I'm on another social media platform, I'm only going to follow people that represent my beliefs and right. they spew back to me whatever I believe. So then it ends up being like an endless cycle of me just repeatedly not being uh, exposed to new 
perspectives essentially and then what happens um, when those people mess up right like like let's say one of those people that you follow you, we don't have to name anybody but say one of those people says something that's really out of the pale what's the typical response from their followers yeah that wasn't bad but we can't let those other guys win right, right. right? because if they win then we might lose and it's like yeah but that, this is where you see it starts to the extremism can sneak in uh, because then it ends up being like, no matter what happens, I have to support these guys because the alternative is just that much worse. Right. And if, yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Yep. Um, and I kind of wanted to go more into this stuff about, um, specifically about human rights, because that I saw that you all had a uh, podcast about that. And I think human rights have become a little bit more vague in the yes. recent years uh, because I feel like, for example, a lot of progressives say that things like housing and healthcare, all of those are human rights, while uh, I think conservatives are more like, hey, equal equality of opportunity is like the fundamental human right, and from there you have to work yourself up and um, essentially garner like the funds necessary to get those other things like healthcare, yeah. housing, et cetera. So it's if you all could talk a little bit more about that and like that progression. Yeah, it's funny how all the things we want are always human rights. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, we, we, one of the, what we do talk about in that episode is we talk about where exactly do human rights come from? And one of the things that we, we left with is human rights are very limited in their total number because they have to be universal, right? So the human right for me has to be the same right for somebody in India, in China, in Russia, right? Not, not that those people have access to them, but in terms of when you're thinking of them, you, it can't be, I have a right to housing. Well, if, if, if humans have a right to housing, then we need to go into Africa and just build houses now. Doesn't matter the cost because they have a right to it. Every human must have a house and it must be a decent house, right? If it's a human right. So it has to be universal. If it's not universal, then it's not a human right. That's why we have things called civil rights. We have administrative rights, you know, like you have a right, you, know, you have a right to, um, you know, like you might go to your, your local town and they'll say, you have a right to appeal this ticket on such and such and such, right? That's like an administrative right. You know, you, it's not actually, you do not have a human right to appeal. Everybody does not have a right to appeal to your local town council. It's not a human right. Um, so it has to be universal. It has to be timeless, meaning that it has to be a right always. Right. So we can we could say something like healthcare is a right, like we want that to be a right that you have in our country. But to say it is a human right, do you did you always throughout all time have that right? You know, and so you have to it has to be universal, it has to be timeless as well. So you can see where a lot of rights that people will claim just start to fall away once once you get just through those first two things. Um so in terms of human rights the way people argue with them it's again it's to bring in almost an argument to authority where we can say human because who who's against human rights nobody's against human rights and this is one of you know and again going back to people don't know how to talk if you're not if you can't argue your point without just labeling everything you want a sacred human right then you're not capable of convincing anybody of anything 
And if you've started to notice that everything that you want, you know, I joked about it earlier, but everything you want is suddenly a human right. That's, that's an issue. Um, because again, everybody has to have equal access to it. Everybody has to be afforded it. It has to be universal. It has to be timeless. And so that limits, that limits the amount. So we think the problem is our, we have focused so much on rights becoming just anything that we should have, you know, internet's a human right. No, it's not. We do not have a right to internet, right? Now, it, internet is useful. It's part of the modern era, but we, and you know, in, in a wealthy country, we might say, hey, we're going to provide everybody internet because that improves our society. We may say that, but you have to be very careful about labeling something a human right. Because again, what happens when the human right is abused? You must stop the people abusing it, right? That's one of my big, my big annoyances that I'll hear people, you know, they'll say, yeah, if they come for our guns and we're going to stop them, you know, and then Donald Trump gets up there and goes, well, what if we put in red flag laws and all those people that we're talking about, you know, that any, any infringement is an infringement is an infringement. All those guys, you can't find them. They're suddenly going, well, you know, it's probably like good if it's a Donald Trump red flag law, you know, we can like do a little bit of human right abuse that's fine that that's the sort of stuff where you start seeing like okay then <laughs> no if it's a human right then you must defend it against any abuse and you have to define what it is and it has to meet the criteria of a human right and not just a civil right not just we like it um that sort of thing so that that's one of the that's what we talked about in our episode on, on just where do human rights come from because I think a lot of people have forgotten. I think we don't really teach it. I'm not, you're, you're much closer to high school than, than we are. Did anybody in any class ever talk about where human rights come from? Oh, definitely not. Even in our um, AP government and politics class where we kind of delved into other topics that we talked about today, like voting, hyperpolarization, et cetera. We, ne we never even mentioned civil, like human rights once. I think the only thing was, um, Obviously, when studying the Declaration of Independence, we learned about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or yeah. like John Locke's life, liberty, and property, but nothing other than that. Yeah, and that directly comes from his book called The, Sec the Second Treatise on Government, where he actually has an entire thought experiment on where do human rights come from. And it's um, now it's usually considered collegiate level, so I read that at the college level um, as a side reading. But again, if you're talking about what's the purpose of high school, it's to educate kids. Kids don't know where their rights come from. so then it makes sense that all these things are suddenly rights because nobody knows what one is. Thank you so much to Will and Matthew for their thoughts in the second part of this three-part series of Blue State Conversations. Make sure to check out their podcast, which will be linked in the description. Stay tuned for part three and future episodes coming soon. Thank you all and see you next time. It's High School Not So Much A Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Dolanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.